This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you again this Saturday. Uh, As many of you know, we talked a little bit about last week, and uh, this is our 23rd consecutive program on COVID-19. And we talked a little bit about this recovery here in Connecticut and my involvement with uh, Mohegan Sun to get some sports back and combat sports uh, in particular. So essentially now over the next several weeks, the arena will be used for a variation of mixed martial arts and boxing shows. Now, a lot of people probably say, you know, It's sports. Why are we spending so much time on sports and getting back to sports? And I'll have to tell you that being there last night for the first time in in months uh, really reminded me of the importance of what we're doing here in Connecticut to attract events like this, because I got to see so many old friends. and, And I mean, people who work backstage, the guys who load in and load out, who I've gotten to know over the years. And they are so happy to be back at work. You know how you complain, like, oh, i got to go to work. Now it's like they are just so happy to be back at work. And it's important because that's how our economy is going to be moving. But it's important to do it safely. And the testing program that has been put together by the various MMA, Viacom, which owns Bellator and uh, Showtime Boxing, who will be here next week, and Hartford Healthcare has been tremendous. I mean, it's been tremendous. There are people there. They, these fighters are kept in isolation. They train only in a pod with their own people uh, for the week. So I was really, I left there encouraged. And, and I think that's important that we're finally moving along. And even eating in the cafeteria at Mohegan Sun was very interesting because you can socially distance. Uh, it really... Um, you know, showed me uh, that we're moving in the right direction. Uh, A lot of people, last week we talked a little bit about this week's show being a a discussion on getting back to school, Uh, but I had an opportunity, and I always like to take an opportunity to have as my guest Dr. Ajay Kumar. So we're going to put off the back-to-school discussion, which has been a discussion in most households in America, including my own, in terms of what our our grandchildren doing. Everybody's talking about what are our children doing. And uh, so we're going to put that show off for a couple of weeks and kind of go over that in depth. But suffice it to say, I sense we're going to be seeing a revolution in how education is delivered in the United States. There are people forming now what they call pandemic pods. So if you don't want your child going back to a large classroom where their education may be interrupted again if there's a positive case or they are forced to remain strictly isolated. People are forming these 
pods of four or five children and pooling resources to hire a teacher to teach their children for several hours a day. Uh, there are people doing distance learning that has really taken off tremendously here. Many folks are doing homeschooling. Again, there are a lot of resources. So I think we're clearly going to see a revolution in how education is delivered in this country, and I think it's going to be a good change overall because I think having options always creates a better product from that standpoint. Speaking of that, telemedicine. As many of our regular listeners know, uh, I, I'm a big advocate for the delivery of medical services through technology. And the reason being is it helps many of my older patients or my patients who are, have significant disabilities. They don't have to depend on a family member to take a day off from work to drive them to the office. They don't have to wait for an ambulette to bring them to the office. My other patients who work don't have to take a day off for a visit. They can go to a private area in their office and log on, and we could do a visit. The problem here is that insurance companies have wanted to stop paying for these visits. Their thinking is, well, COVID's over, and we're ready to go back to business as usual. I applaud the state of Connecticut. Our legislators this week passed a bill extending the fact that insurance companies have to pay for these visits. Now, it all comes with a question mark because they only extended it till March of next year. But I think it's absolutely important that we maintain this telemedicine alternative for the delivery of care to our citizens, and I think it makes everybody healthier overall. Masks are still somewhat controversial. I mean, we're, I don't see it as much of a problem here in Connecticut, but there are people out there still fighting over masks. Um, and, and one of the things that's important, and someone I discussed this with brought it to my attention, really, too many people are wearing these masks below their nose. Okay, Guess what? You can close your mouth. You can't close your nose. And that is the primary way the COVID virus is being spread is through the nose, right? When you have that forceful sneeze, a lot of it is coming through your nose. So you have to remember to pull the thing up over your nose and make sure you have a well-fitting mask. And I think that that is really where we're doing some great things here and trying to move things along. The statistics, once again, are staggering. We have... 48,776 positive cases here in Connecticut with 4,400 deaths thus far. In the United States, we passed the 4 million mark of positive tests. But more devastating is when you look at the number of deaths. 147,000 Americans are dead as a result of this virus, and we think that's a low estimate. Globally, over 15 million cases and over 639 deaths. So this is a global emergency and we need to get on it as fast as we can and continue our momentum as a country. And we have to 
really put our political issues aside and move forward. And that's why I'm looking so much forward to our guest today, uh, Dr. Kumar, to really talk about, you know, what have we done and where are we going in terms of managing COVID-19 here in Connecticut. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back. I'm going to catch up on some of the emails that I've been receiving at info at alessimd.com. And over the next 15 minutes, I'm happy to take phone calls at 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and in this segment, we'll take questions, and we're going to catch up on uh, things that have been accumulating in the mail bag uh, from our various listeners. Uh, one of the things I think people need to note is that the CDC has changed the time frame for isolation for positive cases. So previously, it was 14 days. Now it has been reduced to 10 days. So uh, it's important to note that. What's more important to note is that it's not that they were wrong in the past. You know, we're going through a lot of this now. Uh, people are saying, well, Dr. Fauci was wrong. So-and-so was wrong. They weren't wrong. It's that things have changed. We have more knowledge. So people are saying, well, so-and-so said not to wear masks in the beginning. Yeah, but... We've learned things. So the CDC, as we're going through this, they're finding out that now it's safe for us to isolate for only 10 days as opposed to 14 days. And that's important, again, um, for those who have to uh, be in isolation. So let's not be so quick to jump on people and say they were wrong, okay? Um, it's just that they have evolved and, and begun to uh, learn. Uh I had an email from Tom, and it was, what is your opinion on the president ordering hospitals to send COVID-19 data to the White House and not the CDC? Well, the Centers for Disease Control is a non-political, non-biased organization. They are a department uh, that we as taxpayers put together. They are scientists, uh, and they have to be independent of political bias. So um, we also have control as to who works there, who doesn't work there, and in terms of their qualifications. So the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, was set up by us, American taxpayers, to protect us. The White House, on the other hand, although these people are government employees, uh, clearly have a political bias. And one of the things we've always said on this program is when you mis mix politics and science, you've got trouble. And that's clearly the case here. So in an effort to really keep science away from politics, we have the CDC. Now, people might say CDC is not doing a good job. Uh, people have opinions. Well, we all have opinions about people who are doing their job and who aren't doing their job. Uh, but by the same uh, token, um, you know, you need to really look at this from that standpoint um, and and kind of work from the idea that 
politics and science don't mix. So information should be going to the CDC. Uh, I had another uh, email, um, and uh, that was about, uh, it was from Paul, and it was interesting because uh, it was about putting aside politics. Um, and, and he really put together the fact that, you know, we need to emphasize science. Several points in his email were very interesting. Uh, one uh, being that um, it is a vaccine uh, possible? And absolutely. I mean, uh, it's important for us to create a vaccine and use it effectively, as we have in the past for so many other problems, polio, measles, mumps. But I think it's also important to understand that this is not going to be the last pandemic we're going to face. We've had them before, never to this degree since the Spanish influenza. But we clearly have to move along from that standpoint. He also brings up the idea of behaviors uh, and talks about how uh, children are challenging and trying to get them to wear masks. Um, people, and, and he emphasizes especially men, have uh, don't necessarily wash their hands effectively. Uh, the point here is we need to change behavior. And I think it certainly can be done. We've done it with seatbelts. We've done it with smoking. So it takes time, but we can change behavior and improve and improve this planet, improve what we do. And I think it's important also the testing issue he brings up with respect to asymptomatic carriers. Uh, and uh, whether or not testing is important, it's absolutely crucial because we're seeing uh, more and more people uh, to, who are asymptomatic carriers and can become super spreaders of illness. Um, we have, as Paul, uh, Paul from Simsbury's on the line. Uh, Paul, you had a question. Yes. How you hey. doing? Good, Paul. I called you before, but I have a very specific point to observe and want your feedback on. Sure. The science of it is not discriminatory, whether it's your family member or not. And that Korean study came out recently, but always intuitively, I knew that if it's not discriminatory, you should be wearing a mask around your spouse and your children. And I've canvassed my married friends because I live alone and virtually none of them do this. And I said, so if you're out all day at work and you come home to your wife who's been home, and even though you're wearing a mask, you're protecting others, technically you should be wearing it around your wife. And to a person, nobody's doing this. What, you, you give me your feedback on that because I know you're a stickler for standards, and that's my observation. It, it seems like people aren't doing that. <clears throat> Got it? Okay. Yep, gotcha. So great point, um, Paul. Thanks for that. So the question becomes, should you be wearing a mask in your own home when you are around others? And, uh, you know, to some degree, you're absolutely right, especially when you're in close contact. So we see this problem when we have multi-generational families who are at risk. And with that, you cannot socially distance. So a lot of times you can socially distance and you would be safe that way. So in the highest sense of trying to 
destroy this virus, okay, uh, you you would be right. You should probably isolate and take it to the extreme. You probably shouldn't be around anybody uh, from that standpoint. So the point becomes, where is the, you have to evaluate the levels of risk, okay? So for example, if I am around someone or knowingly around someone or could be exposed, should I be wearing a mask even in my own home around my family? Uh, I think so. So for example, when my grandchildren come to my home, we wear masks uh, because of their contact. Uh, but I think in many cases, we don't necessarily do it around our spouse and children. So if you want to be a purist, yeah. But if we really want to be a purist, we would shut down and never leave our home. And we would make sure our home is a safe environment. So during isolation, right, in March, um, I wasn't going out. Neither was my wife. So with that, we didn't really feel the need to wear masks, and I think a lot of people didn't. So as we go out into the environment, should we be wearing masks more? And this is a good question is because it, it always comes up, uh, you know, when you're around people, how much you should be wearing a mask. The more you wear a mask, the safer it is. It's absolutely true. And if you could do it conveniently, you go right ahead and do it, Paul. But I think you bring up a good point from that standpoint. Okay, uh, we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Ajay Kumar. Dr. Kumar is the Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer for Hartford HealthCare. This is a great opportunity to get him on because we really want to talk about, you know, what have we done right, what have we done wrong, and where are we going here in Connecticut so that we have a plan. I'm one of those people who feels much better if I have a plan at least to follow. And I know people in power have a plan. I get nervous when people keep changing the plan, okay, dramatically. Uh, because, uh, you know, we can follow rules. Give us the rules and let's do it. So with that, we're going to take a short break. Then you're going to be back with us here at Healthy Rounds and WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And I think in follow-up to Paul's question about wearing masks at home, I think everybody has to really evaluate their own risks and what they do during the week and are they bringing a risk to their home. So as we move through this process, it is really a personal question that we have to ask ourselves constantly as to what are we doing to protect ourselves and others. With that, uh, I'm honored to have as my guest Dr. Ajay Kumar. Dr. Kumar is Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer for Hartford HealthCare. Uh, he is a medical doctor, and, and really, he has been among the medical leaders in our community who have really led the response to COVID in our region. And uh, it's a great opportunity to have him on the air. Uh, welcome to the show, Ajay. Good morning, Tony. Such a pleasure to be here. Uh, and, and I want to start by thanking you, really, for your efforts uh, as a physician leader in our area, along with others in our area that have really done a great job in terms of keeping us safe so far. So I wanted to start by thanking you. Uh, but 
Let's look back. What have we done right and what have we done wrong? I mean, what we are always constantly assessing is what could we do better? And obviously, we've done some really good things in this area uh, in terms of protecting people. From your standpoint, what have we done right and what have we not done right? It's a great question, Tony. Um, I, I think uh, there's a lot to be proud of uh, for Connecticut uh, on where we are and a lot to be um, really be cautious about at the same time. If you look back uh, from the January uh, when we heard about this uh, novel coronavirus and we began preparation in Feb uh, and where we are today, um, I think the, the, some of the things which we did very well as a community here is following um, a, a social distancing um, etiquette to a certain extent. And I think Connecticut has done a good job in following those things, in my opinion. We can always do better. I, I think the timing of our lockdown or at least uh, quarantine, which uh, governor had mandated, um, was very appropriate. Um, hindsight is always 2020. Could have been at three, four days, or maybe a week earlier on. Um, and I think uh, our um, uh, advocacy uh, from healthcare teams, the, how the healthcare systems across the state of Connecticut came together, the medical leaders of all the hospitals um, uh, led the, um, the campaign of talking and educating everybody. I think it was done very well. Uh, I think some of the other things which I like to believe Hartford Healthcare did, did exceptionally well was opening a, a 24-hour call center for our community. Back in early, we were getting up to 6,000 calls in 24 hours, 24-7. That provided a tremendous amount of clarity regarding what is going on with the virus, how do you respond. The other work we have done very well in the state of Connecticut is uh, uh, rapidly expanding our testing capability. Um, as of last night, I looked at the number Hartford Healthcare had done 138,000 testing for state of Connecticut, and that's a remarkable number for any healthcare institution to be able to get to. All in all, our state has done a good job in managing the testing capability. And if, if you if you look back, what we could have done better, I think that's one area we could have started earlier on. We could have started uh, in a better uh, fashion. The second area, which I find um, where um, I I remain uh, somewhat um, uh, disappointed um, is, is the number of uh, lives you've lost in our uh, post-acute area, especially the nursing home and assisted livings and other area. And it's not because these entities did not try hard and did not work hard. But I think we, we did not um, create this uh, um, restriction on visitations and created the um, education sessions aggressively enough. And I think um, we, 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 this is a learning lesson for us. Uh, back in March, actually, um, you know, I started the process of connecting with all the nursing homes across the state of Connecticut, and we held a Tuesday morning call, and still goes on, and we shared our best practices. How do you actually uh, uh, take care of the FPPE? How do you get access to the uh, testing? And how do you make sure that um, if somebody gets sick, they're safely transported to the hospital? How do we create the triage process in the emergency room? So a variety of practice principles were put together but I think that's the area we, we could have been a bit more aggressive. And I think, I think uh, uh, we, we lost a lot of lives, unfortunately, in the last uh, um, several months. Um, you know, 4,400 deaths in Connecticut is a sobering number for a state of our size of 3.3 million population. Uh, but, but, you know, looking forward, uh, where we are right now, I think uh, we, are, we are leading the country right now with the number of prevalence and how we are responding with testing. Um, our citizens, I like to believe, are following generally, by and large, a good um, social distancing policies, hand hygiene, masking. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be proud of for our state at this time. Ajay, I'm glad you brought that up. So 
going forward in terms of nursing homes and people who are uh, at risk or infected and need to be isolated appropriately, mm-hmm. um, is this a situation where we may need to go back to the old concept of sanitariums um, like we had for tuberculosis and uh, we still use in other places around the world where people can uh, recover uh, from the virus while in isolation in a more intensive setting rather than um, leaving them in the community? Uh, is that is that viable? Because this isn't going to be the last pandemic we're going to face, that's for sure. That's right, Tony. This is not the last pandemic. And I think we are we going to see some surges uh, over the next uh, uh, few months to come uh, come 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 by. Uh, let, let, let me ask, try to answer your first question regarding the uh, the, um, the sanatorium concept or creating an isolation. I think we we did some of that um, uh, uh, this time as well. Uh, you know, I worked with some of the nursing homes and made sure that they have a COVID only unit, um, so they, we are able to isolate our. Um, individuals who are sick or uh, who are infected with COVID from one area. The challenge we had is the workforce, is that the, the people who are providing care are still uh, are um, able to communicate, uh, to, to, to transmit because they're working in different organizations and different areas. And that became a bit of a challenge for us to manage. Uh, a strict sanitarium concept of TV or other things, it requires us to have that kind of uh, um, uh, oversight as well. So um, I, I hope we don't need to come to that level of creating that strict sanitarium where we're limiting a significant amount of uh, movement of people. Uh, but, but creating a cohorted unit uh, for, uh, for in, individuals who are exposed, who are positive, who are sick, is, is the way to go in future. Uh, and I think our teams, um, even in the hospitals and nursing homes and assisted living, have learned it really well this time. How do you create those isolated zones, uh, so as to say? Uh, so yeah, we would be we would be using that that uh, process as we go forward um, in, in all settings. You know, I'm reminded of the gentleman, and I don't know his name in, in New Britain, uh, who had a nursing home and knew this was going to be a problem, and he encouraged all his employees to live at the nursing home. He got trailers and and whatever, and they lived there for three months um, or some a ridiculous amount of time. But he's he protected everybody, and it's almost like that. I mean, now, believe me, that's the extreme, obviously, but yeah. I think it demonstrates to us that that model works if you really have to protect people. So um, that's where I was coming from with that. Um, to, yeah, carry yeah. on, Tony. No, no, go ahead. No, I said, um, you know, I think that is the most ideal model um, in, in a pandemic state to control very quickly. Uh, but it is a lot to ask for our healthcare workers and individuals who are providing care to be able to sacrifice their personal and family time to be able to do that. Oh, and yeah. I think our yeah. tasks, should, uh, and I, th- I think uh, this has been a very successful model in many areas. What my, my hope is that as we go forward, if we continue to follow the basic precautions of, of social distancing, universal masking, hand hygiene, uh, we will reduce that, um, that kind of uh, demand for our society significantly. And hopefully this would be done in isolation rather than um, uh, a, a common practice. We're going to continue our conversation. We're going to take a short break. My guest today is Dr. Ajay Kumar, Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer for Hartford HealthCare. When we come back, we're going to be talking a little bit about the vaccine. Uh, what's it going to cost? How are we distributing it here in Connecticut? How is it going to affect all of us? And we're going to talk a little bit about 
how we protect ourselves from virus coming in from other areas of the country. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds in our final segment with my guest, Dr. Ajay Kumar, and he is the chief clinical officer at Hartford HealthCare. Ajay, in looking at the future, a couple of things. Right now, we're concerned about protecting what we have here in Connecticut. Uh, We have a relatively safe environment compared to the rest of the country. How do we keep it that safe when we know that uh, things are not going well in other states? Uh, how, how do we move forward in that? Yeah, Tony, um, it's a great question. So I think um, uh, I want to present some of the stats, actually, for everybody, all the viewers, to all the listeners to know. So um, Hartford Healthcare, as you know, has been doing testing and I'm presenting some of the numbers I'm seeing at this time. So last 24,000 testing we've done in the state of Connecticut, our prevalence uh, has been 0.6%. That means 0.6% of the 22,000 people have been found positive in the community, which is a remarkable number. If you compare to some of the southern states where the numbers are as high as 20 to 24% of prevalence. So, So this is what I was referring to, so much to be proud of for where we are right now. Uh, but this is because we've been able to go in a very thoughtful and a phased approach of reopening the state of Connecticut. We've done a good job of uh, creating a testing, um, educated our members uh, throughout the state of Connecticut. The things we've done is a mask um, utilization in healthcare facilities and outside um, as well. So uh, I think all the basic things we've done so far to get to where we are right now, we need to continue to maintain that. And, and there are two other uh, aspects I'll talk about, but if I advise everybody to continue to wear the mask, especially when you're out in, in a crowded area and um, you know, grocery shopping or on other places, uh, please wear a mask. It's extremely important at this time to reduce the transmission. Uh, hand hygiene, um, um, using the right sanitizer to make sure you clean your hands often enough, especially um, in, uh, in, in areas where you, you could be exposed to somebody who might be having an infection. Um, the uh, how do you how do you manage uh, in the areas where the crowds are there? Uh, reduce the number of exposures as much as possible. Reduce the congregation, and obviously keeping our elderly, keeping out the most vulnerable who are immunocompromised as safe as possible. Uh, I think these are the few things we need to continue to adhere to, and we need to continue to be disciplined around that as we go forward. Now, um, what challenge we have right now is that um, uh, the other states which are uh, seeing the rising number of cases or having a what I consider the hot zone. Uh, 31 of them as of uh, yesterday, as per state of uh, Connecticut website, um, uh, the, the travel um, from those areas in which you're bringing the disease could create problems. So I actually support governor's um, suggestion of uh, having a test done or putting a quarantine for travelers and reducing the travel if it's not required uh, for Connecticut residents to outside the Connecticut, especially in areas where the exposure rate is higher. And I understand it is a difficult time, especially in the summer when folks like to take vacations and uh, a lot of other activities are happening. But this is a sacrifice I think we all must make uh, to keep our state um, as safe as possible. So my request to the citizens would be uh, reduce your travel as much as possible, wear the mask, continue to follow hand hygiene, reduce exposure to the most vulnerable, and uh, obviously uh, practice social distancing. So that would be the secret sauce for us going forward uh, at this time. I want to get on the topic of a vaccine. 
Uh, everybody's yeah. talking about, you know, when a vaccine will be available. We know one is going to be available, uh, whether it be in months or years. Uh, how How is that going to work? I mean, how are we managing cost and distribution uh, of the vaccine here in Connecticut, in your mind? And I know uh, I got a good feel that you're already thinking of this, is how yeah. how are we going to get there? And, and I think that's something our listeners would like to know when it's available. How are we going to implement that? That's a, um, another great question. So, Tony, as you know, uh, there are 165 vaccines are being developed across the world at this time. There are about 19 of them in phase one trial. Uh, 13, I believe, are in phase two and four in phase three. And one is in approval phase. Uh, and now this is a remarkable uh, speed we have seen a scientific community do to really have such a large-scale production, large, a large-scale um, scientific research and uh, working on the uh, vaccine um, evolution at this time. So a lot to be optimistic about. Um, your question is about the, how do we manage the distribution, the cost, and other issues. Um, I'll, I'll come to the cost in a moment, but I'll talk a little bit about the distribution uh, and acceptability. Um, I, I think... Uh, for vaccines to work in a community such as ours, uh, especially when a pandemic is rampant, we need a, a significant number of individuals to be vaccinated. That generates the herd immunity that actually creates a process of reducing the transmission of this virus from one individual to the other individual. It breaks the chain, breaks the cycle. So we need um, a significant number of people. I would imagine about 200 million or more of the United States uh, citizens would need to be uh, vaccinated. That is a logistical challenge to distribute across the, the, the country. Now, in Connecticut, uh, there's something we've learned um, during this COVID crisis. As you know, Heart for Healthcare, uh, and I'm giving you a microcosm of example, um, created uh, almost five mobile units of uh, doing the testing. We actually uh, partnered with the state to provide um, testing in Department of Corrections, various nursing homes, schools, and universities in other areas. So if you think about this infrastructure we put together to be able to get to the most vulnerable, the difficult areas, such as uh, the inner cities and, and the churches and synagogues and other areas, we have created a network of distribution. We have created a logistical capability to be able to manage the demand as we go forward. And I think the system like ours can easily convert that to a distribution center. Similarly, I think the state, as they partner with different types of institutions, have created a similar type of network. So I consider Connecticut to be a lot better prepared than any other state I know of in creating the distribution channel for the society. I think that citizens need to accept when the vaccine comes. Scientists need to pay attention to the vaccine is the right one, could I have reduced the amount of side, least amount of side effects and would be effective. And our logistical uh, process, which we put together with a variety of organizations, especially Heart for Healthcare, will be able to deliver that capability. So I think we have, uh, we have really, um, um, and within our team, I have already began um, uh, looking into the process of how we're going to make that happen when time comes. And I'm very confident uh, that we will be very well prepared, especially um, um, that the heart for healthcare is present in the communities across our state or, or beyond. Um, so we will be able to deliver that. As you know, we have five mobile units right now testing in different parts of the state um, yeah. every single day, including the weekend. Uh, that's a remarkable commitment we have for our citizens to, to meet the need at this time. In the last minute, yeah. when, when do you think we, we're out of this mess, or are we never out of this mess? <laughs> well, 
you know, I think we will be living with COVID for the longest time we know. Um, the COVID is going to be one of those uh, diseases that are going to come back in seasons and other times. Uh, our job is to contain and mitigate the risk as much as possible as we go forward. Uh, I think we're going to be truly out of the mess when the vaccine is uh, deployed across the, um, uh, across the country, and that would take some time. But there's a lot more to be optimistic about with the new therapies and other things coming up. We have seen increased survival. We've seen increased recovery uh, of the sicker patients as well. Uh, so all in all, I think we're in the road to recovery. It is going to be bumpy. It is going to take some time. But early next year, I'm hoping that we will have vaccine distributed. Uh, and I'm hoping the next year, this time, in July, we'll have a different conversation how to be maintained and contain as we go forward. Ajay, thank you. Thank you for your time today. And thank you for everything you and all the folks at Hartford HealthCare are doing regionally and working with others uh, to, to really solve this problem. Thanks again for your thank time you. today. Thank you, Tony. Hey. Have a good day. Thanks. Many thanks to our studio producer, Mike Okel. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. If you need, missed any part of today's interview, you can get it on the Healthy Rounds podcast, download it free from iTunes. Uh, next week, I will be attending a socially distanced advanced cardiac life support course. Um, we are going to uh, try and do this with social distancing so that we could all keep up with our credentials uh, for ACLS and basic life support. Uh, I'll be back with you in two weeks. With that, until next time, please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.